expectations are something that all of us have. Whether we know it or not, we have expectations. And guess what? Most of those expectations in life go unmet. Most of the expectations that we have for certain things, they rarely are met. Let alone are those expectations exceeded. Our career, our financial goals, we hype up certain sporting events. How often do those sporting events really match the expectation? I can think of one. That's my Eagles in the Super Bowl last year. I don't want to say that too loud. I'm in Patriot country. But that exceeded my expectations. But other than that, and I'm a huge sports fan, we hype up these games. Most of the time, they don't meet the expectations, right? Even in marriage. Why do divorces happen? Why do marital strife take place? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one major reason is because we have these expectations that go unmet. One, two, or many. We have an expectation of what our spouse should be and what they should do. And when that doesn't happen, problems arise. Now, I'm the exception to the rule. My wife has exceeded... All of my expectations, right? We, we celebrated nine years of marriage this year, and I can honestly say it's better than any nine years I could have imagined. But I would say that she's the exception to the rule in life that expectations are rarely met and almost never exceeded. That's why I love Christmas. That's why I love the true story of Christmas, because Jesus exceeds. All of our expectations that we could possibly have about what a Messiah should be and what a Messiah should do. He certainly blows any expectations we have for a baby. But the Old Testament promised Messiah is brought to fruition in the person of Jesus. And guess what? He's so much better than what they could have ever imagined. He's so much better than we could ever imagine. And so that's what I want to talk about today. We tend to hear the Christmas story about a baby born in the manger with some shepherds there, with some wise men coming later, and that he came to save people from their sins, but we sort of stop there. And if not careful, we can miss from the rest of Scripture a real full understanding and theology of just how great the coming of Jesus really is. When you truly get all of that, it blows your mind. He is infinitely greater and better than anything you could possibly expect. And so that's what I want to share with you today from the book of Galatians, chapter 4, Verses 4 through 7. If you have one of our pew Bibles, page 974 in the Black Bible. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This is not a typical Christmas passage, right? Usually we're in the Gospels. This is a letter written about 20 years after the death of Christ. About 50 years after the birth of Christ. But what the Apostle Paul does here 
is he sort of unwraps the person of Jesus for us. He sort of unwraps the purpose of Jesus for us. And when he does that, we, we get this expanded, marvelous view of just how great Jesus is and just how great why he came and what he has done for us really is. And so let me read that passage for us today. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, though, uh, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Several years ago, a book was written called Jesus is Better Than You Imagined. It's a great title, and it's true. And Paul's going to give us three reasons why from this passage. That Jesus surpasses all expectations. Let me share those with you this morning. Number one, Christ's coming means I can be spiritually redeemed. Why, why does Jesus surpass any expectation? Well, first off, by coming, it means that I can be spiritually redeemed. You'll notice that phrase, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Christmas was not an accident. The coming of Jesus was not a backup plan. It was not sort of this hodgepodge, fly by the seat of his pants plan for God. In eternity past, God in his perfect plan and will foreordained this coming. The rescue and redemption of sinners was part of his perfect plan to come at the perfect appointed time just as a date was set by an ancient roman father as to his son coming of age so god the father set a date when he would release his people from the guardianship of the law and the slavery of sin and that was when jesus came into the world it was no accident that christ was born when he was it was the plan of god for the first time since very, very early on in the Old Testament, the world really had a common trade language, which was Greek. The Pax Romana, or the, or the road system in ancient Rome, made travel so much easier on quality Roman roads. The vast network of Jewish synagogues provided the perfect vehicle for the eventual spread of the gospel of Jesus. All of these things made ripe for the coming of the Son of God. And it was in that moment, in the fullness of time, that God sent His Son, Jesus. The coming of Jesus was planned and it was purposeful. God sent His Son both to redeem, to redeem and adopt. Verse 4, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Each of those little phrases have incredibly mean. Uh, um, have incredible meaning explaining how Christ was able to redeem first God sent his son this indicates his deity God sent a part of himself 
His Son, the fullness of God. That's His deity. Second, He was born of a woman. There's His humanity. Jesus was a God-man, the only one in all of history. Fully God, fully man. Because He was God, He could redeem. Because He was God, He could not sin. Because He was man, He could be tempted. He could be tried. He could be hurt. He could experience everything that we could experience so as to empathize with us. Truly God, truly man. Being born of a woman, instead of saying being born of human parents, may even hint at his virgin birth. Third, he was born under the law. That is, he succeeded in keeping the impossible law that everybody fails underneath. If Christ had not been human, he could not have redeemed humans. If he had not been a law keeper, he could not have redeemed lawbreakers. And if he himself had not been God's son, he could not have made us sons and daughters of God. Jesus is uniquely qualified. That word redeem means to pay off a debt completely. In that day, it could have been for a wealthy person to pay off the debt of a slave. And to set them free. And so what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ is that Jesus has paid off our sin debt. He lived a perfect life and because he was without sin, he could die for the sin of others. Jesus came to wipe out that sin debt before God. When we express faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, immediately... All of your debt is transferred to Jesus. And you now stand in the righteousness of God, justified before God. A new creature. If you truly are a child of God, if he truly has redeemed you by grace through faith, it's not something you have to do, it's something you have to surrender to. You repent and believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, And every morning when you wake up, it is as if God says, you don't owe me anything. Jesus paid it all. Because of Christmas, you can enjoy spiritual freedom. While once you were enslaved to sin, while once you were put under a standard that you could not meet, now you are free because of what Jesus has done. To stand before God as righteous. To walk in obedience before God, though never perfect. And to have a new standing before God. Friends, Jesus came at the perfect time. It was no accident. He came for for the perfect purpose, and that is to redeem you and me. When you put all of that together, I think it's safe to say that Jesus is coming, surpasses all expectation but that's only point number one let's go to point number two Christ's coming means I can have a new spiritual family Christ's coming means I can have a new spiritual family not only did God send his son to redeem but but also to adopt us into his family Indicated by that phrase that we might receive the full rights of sonship. It is one thing to pay off a debt. 
and set that person free. It's another thing to bring that person home as one of your own. Put another way, it's one thing to stop at the homeless guy on the side of the street and hand him a dollar and be on your merry way in your Mercedes Benz. It's another thing to invite that person into your home as one of your own children. That's a much bigger commitment. That's a much bigger sacrifice. Now, I'm not recommending that we all do that today, okay? I, you know, we need to use some wisdom and all these things, but here's my point. What Jesus did is far greater than what we could have ever expected. He says, you were once a slave to sin. I'm not only going to set you free, but I'm going to bring you home with me. I'm going to make you one of my own. I am going to treat you in the way that I would treat my only begotten son. That word adoption would have really resonated in a unique way 2,000 years ago. Normally, when we think of adoption, we think primarily of babies and children. Adoption in the Jewish world didn't really happen much. It was really a Roman concept. And Romans did not often adopt babies. They adopted adults to be heirs. It was a Roman custom of the wealthy who did not have a child to adopt for a specific reason, which I will get to in just a minute. The adoption of sinners by God would have blown the first century mind away. Worthy people were adopted, not unworthy. God looked at us, not when we were good, but when we were bad. Not when, when we were worthy, but when we were unworthy. Not when we were righteous, but when we were enemies and sinners of God. And he did so at great cost to himself. Many of you have walked that road, that sacrificial road of adoption. Some of you have. You know firsthand that adoption is costly. One of my friends who's a pastor, Tony Morita, he's adopted five kids, from four of which is from, from Ukraine. He speaks of the cost of adoption. He says it costs a lot of money, but... Money is just sort of the tip of the iceberg. It costs time. It costs commitment. It costs you painful personal changes. It costs a lifetime of sacrifice. The money is secondary to the emotional dream. It's not the path of least resistance. And for the, our, our God the Father, it costs Him more than we can ever imagine. It costs Him the death of his only begotten son, God in human flesh. It cost Jesus greatly. He lived a sinless life, dying a horrible death on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, he was innocent, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, don't ever forget the great cost of your salvation. It wasn't easy cost God everything. And, and also never forget that your adoption into the greatest family in the world by God was entirely an act of grace. It wasn't because you and I deserved it. God not only wants you to come live with him, but he actually comes to live in you. Verse 6, he sends the, the Holy Spirit of God 
the spirit of his son Jesus to dwell within us. He doesn't just want to live with us in eternity. He wants to live with us now. He wants to live in us. And his Holy Spirit comes and is constantly re, re, reassuring us of this intimate relationship that God wants to have with us because we are his children in the way in which he has that relationship with his son. And the Holy Spirit of God encourages us and causes us to be able to cry out with certainty to God our Father. It's incredible the language here. Abba, Father. That is an Aramaic term. That term does not exist in the Greek. There is no equivalent. It literally means daddy. It is the most intimate term possible for a relationship between a father and son. That is the relationship that God affords you. Maybe you weren't blessed with the kind of dad that I was. Maybe when you think daddy, you think pain and hardship and abandonment and strife. But guess what? You don't have to worry about that anymore in the spiritual sense. When you come to Jesus, you not only get a savior, you get a daddy that loves you and provides for you and cares for you for all of eternity. This is why we are not just a bunch of people who meet in a building. We're a family. We're a part of God's family. When you come into a church, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't come into a building of, of acquaintances and friends. It's brothers and sisters. Everyone in this room who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we have been adopted into the same family. We might be brothers and sisters of another mother, but the same father. We are all child, children of the king. That's why our relationship, the way that we love one another, the way that we treat one another should be so much greater than any other form of friendship. We are spiritual brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. How does Jesus exceed expectation? Because through faith in Christ, this Christ who was born in a manger, you not only get a clean slate, but you are grafted into the greatest family in the world. And you get the greatest dad in the world too for all of eternity. Number three. Christ's coming means I can be certain of my eternal standing. Let me read verse seven one more time. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so at the moment of salvation, you get the Holy Spirit who constantly reassures you and confirms your relationship for eternity with God. But that relationship is even more special than you can ever imagine. You're not just some random child in the household of God. God treats every one of his children as a son. Now you say, well, that sounds chauvinistic. Why not sons and daughters? Because in the ancient world, only sons were heirs. The firstborn son was the heir. Only sons got things from the father as an inheritance. And so it's not as if God treats you son in the, 
or, or treats you like a son in the male sense, it's, it's talking about eternal favor. He gives you the best of the best. He treats every one of his children with the best of the best. Now back to Roman adoption for a moment. Adoption was based upon a compound word in Greek. Huios and Thessia. Huios is son. Thessia is setting or placing. To adopt in the culture was to set a person into a place or into the position of a firstborn son or the primary heir of the family. A wealthy person who was childless could adopt one of their servants whom they favored and loved and made them their legal heir. By granting this incredible favor through adoption, this new heir became entitled to the adopter's property. He was also raised to the civil status of the adopter, inheriting his new father's rights and responsibility as though they were his own. Practically speaking, the adoptee, there was no daylight between him and the adopter in, in a legal setting. This granting of full status is not found anywhere in the ancient world outside of Roman law. Tim Keller, the great pastor and theologian, summarizes this incredible metaphor this way by saying, to understand why God sent his son, we need to travel to a slave market and to a wealthy house. Only then would we grasp the concept of sonship. Only together do they give us a complete picture of what Christ has accomplished for us. Why is Christmas important? Why is the coming of Jesus, why does it surpass all expectation? Because by his coming, we can go from a slave chained to a wall to a choice heir of the king of the universe. If that doesn't surpass your expectation, um, you need to come talk to me. Because something isn't right. Christmas tells us that God not only sets us free from a life of slavery, he gives you all that he owns, and the good news is he owns everything. That is what is afforded to you through Christ. That is what being united with Christ means theologically. We talk about that, that at the moment of salvation, Christ's righteousness is credited to your account. That means when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus. That's how you go from sinner to saint. Okay? That is justification. Now, he also unites you with Jesus for all of eternity. That's what being united with Christ means. So that when God looks at Jesus, when he looks at you, he sees you eternally wedded and united to his son Jesus. So all the favor that God sheds on his own son Jesus, it now is placed on you as well. You are eternally in, the stand, in, in standing with Christ before God. You become an eternal heir. My son Nathan's bedroom serves not only as his bedroom, but as like my sort of sports man cave. And at first, Nathan just kind of looked at the stuff on the wall and thought it was cool, and 
everything. He didn't really pay too much attention until one day he was talking about daddy's collection, right? And I said, Nathan, you realize you're my son and I love you. So this is not just daddy's collection. This is our collection. All of a sudden, the way he viewed that collection was much different because now it's his. And somehow that's evolved into not our collection, but Nathan's collection, (laughs) right? He'll point to the case of baseballs on the wall that is full with all the good players and say, Daddy, that's my case. This one over here that's only half, that's your case, right? So so we have to work on this, like, whole share thing. But, But he's got the concept down. Everything that Daddy owns, because he lives in Daddy's house and he's Daddy's son and Daddy loves him and will never stop loving him, and he is my heir. Chasey doesn't really care too much about the baseballs, okay? But, but um, everything that I have belongs to him. He's my son, and I love him. But the same is true of what God affords you in Christ. Everything that he has is yours. But the best news is everything that he is is yours. That's the greatest in all the inheritance. Don't look around and say, oh, I'm, I'm so glad at all this stuff I'm going to inherit by God. That is not primary. What should be primary is you don't just get stuff like rewards in heaven. You get the inheritance of God himself. You get to be with God forever. Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. What do you get when you get adopted? You get God forever. There's nothing better than that. As I close today, this is why the baby born in a manger over 2,000 years ago to a Jewish nation awaiting a Messiah is so much greater than anything we could ever imagine. Jesus surpasses all expectations. Let me ask you a question. Is he your Savior and your Lord? When you hear these things, are they just kind of, okay, that's great about who Jesus is, but I'm not sure I have a relationship with him. It's not good enough just to know these things are true. They have to become yours in Christ. To put another way, God has signed the adoption papers. Now you need to sign. God saves. He initiates. He brings it to pass. But there is a role for you to play in this, and that is repentance and faith. Through repentance and faith today, and saying, God, I no longer want to walk in sin. I want to surrender my life to you as Savior and Lord you can co-sign the adoption papers today and become his heir for all of eternity. Friend, there is no greater Christmas present you could afford yourself than to join the family of God even today. If you'd like to know more about that, I'd love to talk with you after the service, but let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, we celebrate him this morning. I ask your your blessing on your word today, that it would take root in our hearts, that what you say is true about your son Jesus and what he has done, that it would affect us 
in the great and mighty ways that it should. Lord, as we conclude this service today through offering and song, I pray that you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.